The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. Welcome back to Media Talk. I'm Dan Sabat, and this week it's all about one man. Guessed it. The UK phone hacking scandal has forced James, James Murdoch resigned as chairman of the The latest twist in the phone hacking. But first to breaking news, James Murdoch is. James Murdoch has quit as chairman of the Yes, of course. The resignation of James Murdoch broke this week and was the big media story of the week. Well, as long as you discount the Samantha Brick story. More of that later. But it was inevitable, arguably overdue. And will it have the effect that James Murdoch hopes to head off criticism of B-Sky-B? To help me answer these questions, I'll be speaking to Conservative MP Damien Collins. He's on the House of Commons Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. And they're the people preparing a report on what happened at News International as regards phone hacking. I'll also be joined by The Guardian's Lee Strokeown, who's been reporting on the Leveson Inquiry for The Guardian this week. But first, to get a US perspective on this move, I spoke to NPR's media correspondent, David Falkenflick. And I asked David if leading commentator Michael Wolf, he's writing for The Guardian this week, if Wolf was correct that US media really dropped the ball on this story and actually there was little interest or appetite for reporting on the Murdoch family's tangle with phone hacking. Well, certainly New York Times did some very enterprising and impressive work back in, uh, I guess it was 2010. Uh, uh, building on the work that The Guardian had done the years before, particularly Nick Davis and breaking that thing wide open. Uh, Nick, of course, uh, in your shop doing it again last summer. Uh, And and all of you have done a tremendous job there. The Times has treated it very seriously. We've given it a lot of coverage at NPR. And I'd say the the Wall Street Journal, after a pretty sluggish start, uh, has done a very creditable job, much in the way that uh, Sky News has, I think, covered it decently since its breaking into the open last summer. Uh, I wouldn't say that the Journal or Sky had, you know, done that to the same effect previously to that. But that said, uh, uh, you know, I think the Times deserves kudos for the for the enterprise work and has stayed with it. We've stayed with it. Uh, the Journal has done some work. But it's not, you know, it's a story that seems to be about uh, foreign issues. I think if uh, there were prosecutions under the Federal Corrupt Practices Act in this country, uh, which allows for the prosecution of corporate executives. Do, do, do you who, think that's like? Do you think that's likely, David? Do you think that's? That, I think that... likely is likely is a strong term. Uh, you know, I've done a fair amount of reporting on this, and they are certainly looking into it. What typically happens is when companies have been uh, uh, credibly alleged to have done this, they will cooperate and collaborate with. Uh, with uh, the authorities as a way of deeply mitigating the offense. There are often Mm -hmm. significant fines, restructuring, sometimes some firings, you know, some new protocols taken in place occasionally, you know, government officials are allowed to have uh, heightened scrutiny of books and things to make sure there's compliance. Uh, so it's more, like a nego- it, it's, it's more like a negotiation between the company and the government, in effect. It is. And you've seen, you know, what you've seen in your country with the tremendous, uh, it would seem, sharing of documents that had been withheld for years yeah. previously, uh, uh, particularly under the leadership of two former United States assistant attorneys general uh, who are leading what's called the Management Standards Committee or You're something like that. You're meaning Joel, Joel Klein and which one? Gershon's wife? Viet Din. Oh, Viet Din, uh, of course. Viet Din. Joel Klein board, served yeah. under President Clinton, a Democrat, uh, Viet Din, who had served under President George W. Bush, a Republican, notably, uh, you know, uh, 
the co co corporation is signaling to Washington that uh, you know it's doing this with people who can't be accused of being partisan one way or the other. They're t they've got both on board, mm -hmm. and so it seems unlikely to me that there would be outright prosecutions. But you just don't know where these things go. So one of the things, one of the reasons why uh, News Corp in the UK fought so hard to squelch essentially with their uh, allies in the. Uh, the Metropolitan Police Force, uh, deep investigations, and what they were doing is you just don't know where they'll go and what they'll turn up. And, uh, uh, you know, some very uncomfortable moments indeed. Oh, and, what about, and what about James Murdoch? He's relocated to New York. He's no longer, of course, at Sky, as we've discussed. But, um, he has this sort of international TV portfolio and like, some involvement in Fox, they like to say. Uh, uh, do you think he is uh, going to do well in New York? Can he sort of hunker down and rebuild? Or is he going to be sort of caught up in the kind of politics that he had sought to avoid and maybe is at risk of ending up the way his brother Lachlan did, which is not happy and leaving the company? I think there's every possibility of that happening. Obviously, uh, uh, Rupert Murdoch and Chase Carey, his deputy, who's the chief operating officer of the corporation, have put out a statement saying, uh, you know, he's vital to the the strategy and planning of pretty New short, pretty short statement, though, wasn't it? You know, I was struck by that, too. It was, uh, I think, about two two three sentences about mm -hmm. uh, about James and then a sentence about uh, those who would follow him at uh, B Sky B. Uh, it's a real question whether he can hang out and get redemption, whether Rupert may, after a time, bring in his sister, Elizabeth, uh, to uh, perhaps be the one to replace him. Uh, you know, there... Uh, you talk to people in uh, New York and in in Sydney, and they talk about you know you know is there maneuvering afoot to bring Lachlan back from the old country to to restore him? But you know the issues he had in working uh, under uh, Chief uh, Operating Officer, uh, you know another official. Uh, haven't been resolved. He wouldn't want to be a, n a number two below not only Murdoch, but below, in this case, Chase Carey. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, has he done something that allows his return to be triumphant, or is he just returning because there's weakness uh, in his brother? You know, there are these very interesting at once alliances and competitions going on among the three adult children uh, of Mr. Murdoch by his second wife. And what Rupert has indicated, although it seemed as though he took great pride in James Murdoch's rise and his capabilities as a as a television and, and satellite network executive, the real desire is for Murdoch to be succeeded by one of his children. The only person who can take over is Chase, is Chase isn't it, now? I mean, if Rupert, if, if Rupert were to retire tomorrow, which seems pretty unlikely, but if he were, uh, uh, Chase Carey would be the man. There's no contest, right? And what sort of guy is he? Uh, Chase Carey, very well-regarded, capable executive, uh, a man, uh, an American who's uh, not spent time, you know, in the London tabloid or, or newspaper world, not tainted or caught up in those scandals at all. Well-regarded as an executive, both uh, in his times at News Corp and, his, uh, and outside the larger corporation here. Mm -hmm. So Wall Street would be perfectly happy with that. I mean, there's always been a slight discount on the share price here in the States. Uh, for News Corp because they knew that Murdoch at times would indulge his uh, impulses. Sometimes those impulses have paid off uh, magnificently, uh, sometimes not so much. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you pay uh, over a half billion dollars for MySpace and it goes down in, in, you know, by uh, about 90% in value. Mm -hmm. He's already had to write off over half of the value of his $5 billion plus acquisition of the Wall Street Journal. And at the same time, Murdoch has had good results over time. You know, uh, uh, he, he, shareholders are more or less along for the ride. They know what they've got, and they think that he's got, a, uh, on the whole, uh, a good touch. Thanks to David Folkenflik there. 
Now, if the US seems like tranquil waters at the moment, this may change if James Murdoch is directly and harshly criticised by the House of Commons Select Committee report into the phone hacking scandal. To give me some insight into this, I spoke to Conservative MP Damien Collins, who serves on the committee. He's an important moderate figure, I think, and he deserves being listened to. So, Damon, thanks for joining me this morning. Could you give us a, a flavour? What's your sense of um, James Murdoch's decision to step down from B Sky B? Was that the right thing for him to do? I think it was the right thing for him to do. I think it had probably become inevitable that he would do that. Uh, he'd already withdrawn from, from News International newspapers in the UK. Um, and I think the, the pressure on him because of the phone hacking investigation, I think, was such that there would always be a question mark over his role and his knowledge. I think that question mark will remain almost regardless of what is reported by the Select Committee or by uh, Lord Leveson. And therefore, it was probably the sensible thing for him to stand aside. I think it's also interesting to note that almost every senior executive at News International who was involved in some way in the phone hacking scandal, be it because they were in management at the time or because they were Mm -hmm. responsible for signing off uh, payments or settling employment disputes, all those people have gone. And that's and that's a good thing. That's right. Is that what should is that what should be occurring? Well, I think it's an interesting observation. I mean, some of them went um, in the run-up to all of this becoming more public and, and in the run-up to the, the session we had for the Murdochs last year. So obviously people like you know, Les Hinton, Rebecca Brooks, and um, John Chapman, um, then obviously Colin Myler, Tom Crone, uh, and now James Murdoch himself. So I think it just demonstrates the, the seriousness with, with, it, with which they've had to take these, uh, these issues and... Um, and uh, the, the fact that it has compromised the position of these people. You, you memorably said, I think, in, in James Murdoch's second appearance before the committee, you, you said this may not have been the mafia, obviously a reference to Tom Watson's mm. remark, but, but it's certainly not management today. Is that your view, really, on where on, on James Murdoch, i.e. that he was, these were um, uh, sins of omission, but not sins of commission that he committed? Well, I certainly think, you know, this, this is, you know, as I said, this is not management today. This is not a textbook example, I think, of how to... How these, these issues should have been dealt with. Uh, James Murdoch said himself in his, his recent letter to the Select Committee that um, that things fell short during his leadership of the company. Um, that if he had um, if he'd probed harder, he would have he would have found out a lot more. Um, so I, I think you know I think he he himself acknowledges the fact that he's open for criticism on that front. Um, and I think you know. I think you know that shareholders of the company, shareholders of B Sky B as well, would would you know would whether he thinks it's fair or not, would therefore question him about his role in the company at that time. And, um, and, and I don't right? think he can avoid that criticism. But the question is, did did he? You know, but you know, your question is, but do we take him at face value? That's that's the case. You know, yes. he he may have been guilty of not not asking the right questions, but he didn't. You know, he was ignorant of the of the facts. I think from that, from you know, from my point of view, from the work we have to do on the select committee, we have to deal with the evidence in front of us, and it's it's certainly not clear. There's no clear evidence that we've seen. I don't think that suggests that he he knew a lot more than he's letting on. So, now that you you don't believe he misled the committee, is that fair? Well, I mean that that's something you know, we we are still working through uh, our report, and you know we, um, we're still debating ourselves on how you know how we should uh, deal with um, the the rec- deal with the report, the recommendations we will make. So I don't want to preempt that or prejudge that process, but I would I think it's fair to say it, it's not clear from the evidence we've received that um, that he knew. Um, I mean, people might find that incredible, and. Uh, uh, and it certainly, I certainly think he should have asked more questions. And you can see as well from the documents we've received that people, um, it, that crucial meeting that took place where they decided the Gordon Taylor settlement mm-hmm. with James Murdoch and Colin Myler and Tom Crow. Now, 
there are only three people in that room. They don't all agree on what was said and who knew what. But it's also clear that they prepared for that meeting, uh, Crone and Milo prepared for that meeting, assuming that they might well be asked more, you know, because we know that Tom Crone's note he prepared for Colin Myler uh, goes into some detail setting up the background of the, of the case and yes. the issues. Um, it's clear as well from James Murdoch's recent letter to the committee that they discussed Michael Silverleaf's opinion in the meeting, mm-hmm. uh, but he, wasn't, he says he wasn't shown it and wasn't told the, the sort of killer point about uh, Silverleaf's concerns about the widespread nature of illegal practices in the company. So, you know, th- there is a level of knowledge, but I mean, it's not clear exactly what James Murdoch knew. Um, and he's been very consistent in his testimony that he, you know, he wasn't told the full, the full and relevant facts. So do you, is it fair to say that he's going to come, James Murdoch is going to be criticised by the committee for a degree, most for, um, to a degree, most likely, but not necessarily uh, uh, to an extreme degree. You've certainly talked about where you think the right answer is just now. But but is that? Do you think that's a sort of consensus view on the committee that he's going to get? You know, some there will be critical words about him. Well, uh, the, com- the committee hasn't um, agreed its report, so I can't I can't say what the committee would would not say, um, and we'll have to wait and t- wait for the report to to see what the committee's view is. Um, mm. But I, my view is that um, you know. I think you know, looking at the evidence that we've received, um, there's there's not I know, it's not quite clear um, I know how what James Murdoch told us is not true. You know, okay. There's no there's not a counter there's not there's not counter evidence. Um, I mean, neither Colin Myler nor Tom Crone, for example, said that they did show James Murdoch the um, uh, Neville Thelbeck. Uh, for, well, the four Neville Thelbeck email mm-hmm. and the transcripts. Um, no one has said that he was that James Murdoch was shown the opinion of the uh, legal counsel, uh, which we know is you know is, is a very revealing document. So um, th- there's not a counter testimony that says actually what James Murdoch is saying is not true. Uh, there is people are expressing opinions about what they think he should or shouldn't have known, uh, but it's not you know, there's not there's not that clear evidence. I don't think from the evidence we've received that's the case. But, you know, as a committee, we have to interpret what we've received and and give a view and a judgment on what we've received. And that's something we're discussing. I'm joined now by Lisa O'Carroll to get some reaction to what Damien Collins has just said. You've heard clearly what he said about James Murdoch. Do you think that's the the right answer, the answer the committee is going to come up with? I think it's very interesting. Two key words there, ignorant and, well, three, didn't mislead. Um, um, if that is a reflection of what the report is going to say, that's that's James Murdoch off the hook, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> I think it would have been very difficult for the select committee, or it will be very difficult for the select committee, to say that Murdoch has misled Parliament. It's a very serious charge. Um, <clears throat> and as he said, they are dealing with the facts that are presented before them. And from his uh, point of view, as he said, there, w- there, there is nothing that conclusively um, suggests that he um, did deliberately mislead Parliament. Well, he suffered quite a lot, though, Jay. Hardly his finest hour, though, the, the response to the sort of phone hacking affair or the first phone hacking allegations from The Guardian. Well, uh, being uh, ignorant of the facts is pretty bad. Is is a heavy enough charge, isn't it, to lay at the door of a chief executive of a company that, um, you know, publishes five papers in Britain and is chairman of, um, or was chairman until this week of PCIB. So, look, you've been at Leveson all week as well. Uh, not perhaps the biggest week of Leveson, but uh, we've had you know, Neil Wallace there and Keir Starmer and Lucy Panton used to work at the News of the World. Um, uh, what do you make of what happened? Let's, um, Neil Wallace, I think, was uh, eagerly awaited, former, former deputy editor of the News of the World, but he came out of it quite well, didn't he? Rather statesmanlike, I thought. Statesmanlike? I, don't, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, I think it was, it was, he was recalled. This was his second appearance before the inquiry. He was much more confident. He was almost like a cheeky chappy. 
um, playing to the gallery, it's quite interesting when you're in the court, you see the eye contact um, right, that you don't get when you're watching it live on, on uh, mm-hmm. s- through streaming. And you could see that Levison was getting quite impatient with him at times, putting questions to him, but looking at Robert Jay, which was very, very unsettling for for Wallace. Um, but what Jay, was it? Jay's the counsel to the inquiry, isn't Yeah. Um, but uh, the interesting thing from Wallace's point of view was, um, as we know, he got a 24,000 a year um, PR contract with Scotland Yard. But as far mm. as he was concerned, he was just getting paid for advice that he'd been given the Yard for the last 10, 15 years. And, and it was quite interesting because Neil Wallace portrayed himself very successfully, this sort of consummate insider who was very close to succession of well, or a lot of chief constables to um, Lord Stevens back in the day, uh, and more latterly Sir Paul Stevenson. The exception being Ian Blair, but he seemed to sort of he seemed to have an ability to insinuate insinuate himself right at the top. I mean, but do we was that fair? And is there anything sinister about that, or is that just good journalism? Well, you could argue it was good journalism, but he didn't argue that. That was the interesting thing. He he was asked constantly. You know, he revealed that he had. Um, advised them on policy and strategy, not on operational ma- matters. That was Paul Condon, mm-hmm. Stevens, and then not Blair, but Stevenson. He had helped Stevens um, uh, essentially write his application for the for the commissioner's job, which he was successful with. Um, advised him to uh, come across as the copper's copper, the thief taker, a man of action, not a man of rhetoric. Um, um, so I, I suppose... From a journalist's point of view, there is a lot of give and take when you are meeting contacts. You give them intelligence, inside information. They give you. That's that's sure. that was the deal, wasn't it? From Wallace's point of view, but mm-hmm. it, it it came across badly for the police that they were rely that they were in any way relying on the deputy editor of the News of the World for help sure. in applying for the commissioner's job. I mean, it just seems absurd. I think he was editor of The People as well for some of this period. Um, we also heard from Lucy Panton, uh, former crime editor of the News of the World. Um, uh, uh, I think she said she didn't drink that much champagne, although that's there were right. suggestions she'd been drinking champagne with John Yates, I think, or something like that. That's right. I didn't know Lucy. I hadn't seen her or met her before. Um, so I was expecting something a bit different. Um, I think we were given an impression after a succession of police um, hospitality and gift registers were revealed last month that um, Lucy Panton was somebody who was champagne swilling, um, fine dining, um, you know, constantly in and out of Scotland Yard. We had heard earlier that she'd written a story from Dick Fedorcio, the um, office, he was the director of public affairs, and possibly that she had had a £47 bottle of champagne with John Yates, or was it Heyman? It was Heyman down in Oriel in, mm-hmm. in Sloan Square. Well, it turned out she was pregnant for much of the period, trying to get pregnant, she said. Didn't drink um, champagne particularly. Um, white wine was uh, her preferred tipple um, or soft drinks. And she was definitely not uh, at Oriel. So I think she she um, she acquitted herself well. Um, and mm-hmm. again, more so than Wallace, um, stood her ground in that, she, uh, you know, uh, having a drink with a police officer um, was no crime. In fact, it was... It was part of your job. Yeah, quite so. What, what about Keir Starmer? Some, some de- dense but interesting evidence, I think, from the Director of Public Prosecutions. And a, not much love between him and John Yates, a sort of sense from Starmer that, um, that that he would have, if he had known the full facts or if Yates had bothered to reopen the files properly in 2009 or 2010, then they, they would have moved much quicker to a full investigation. Is yeah. That fair? yeah, yesterday was all about um, the original... Uh, prosecution um, of the case uh, in 2006 against Mulcair, Glenn Mulcair and uh, Clive Goodman at the News of the World over phone hacking and they were convicted and jailed in January 2007. Phone hacking investigation closed um, and 2009 
John Yates was asked to review it after the Guardian's article revealed the Furnival email and suggested there was th- that phone hacking was widespread. So Keir Starmer mm-hmm. was the DPP at the time, hadn't been um, around in 2006, had nobody, um, no senior staff who had been around in 2006 and um, was basically um, floundering when um, uh, the Guardian's uh, uh, article appeared. And he was quite exercised about it. That's what he told the, the, yeah. the inquiry, wasn't he? He had gone to, he had written to Yates, John Yates, who was an assistant commissioner at the time, um, asking about the Furnival interview uh, uh, email and suggesting that this need to be looked into further. Yates, um, he said, um, uh, gave him a degree of pushback resisted um, a second suggestion later on um, the following year that it should be reopened. And then um, by the third time when the, in 2011, more details of, of um, uh, or evidence of phone hacking came out in The Guardian again in a story about Sienna Miller's civil action. Mm-hmm. Um, he snapped and said, we're just reviewing all the material. And, but it was Levison who put his, um, his finger um, on it when he said what the police didn't do, they reviewed the case, but what yes. they didn't do was open the room that was marked Operation Caryatid, which was where the 11,000 pages from, from Not Cares yeah. were. So that, that's, that was the failure. Um, you think that was the easiest thing in the world to do, really? Yeah, and that's what Yates didn't do. And that's what um, Starmer um, decided needed to be done. But, tw- you know, just weeks later, Operation Weeting was launched and the police had obviously got the message. Now, wh- where does Levison go next? We've got a bit of fun coming up in a couple of weeks' time, haven't we? We have what's going to be a massive box office week with James Murdoch and Rupert Murdoch. Um, and anyone else? Uh, Lebedev, owner of The Standard and The Independent. That's Devgeny, the younger one. Yes, yep. Yep. son, um, Aidan Barclay, um, son of... Uh, Ma- Maiden public appearance, I think, for Aidan Barclay. So yes, very interesting. in yep. relation to the Telegraph um, proprietor. And we think Rothermere will be on in May the, the week, May the 8th. Mm-hmm. So we've got one week devoted entirely to proprietors. Um, Rupert is going to be absolutely fascinating, I think, because as we saw the select committee um, in last July, he is very prone to spilling the beans. There was yeah. a classic. So whole d- are we talking a whole day of Rupert? Do we? Is that right? It hasn't been confirmed, but it looks like there's a whole day of Rupert, a whole day of James. Wow! I, I, I certainly had some conversation with James Murdoch's people or advisors, uh, uh, and they're sort of starting to say that James Murdoch really wants to have his say, wants to get his side across, and this is his sort of last big opportunity, uh, 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 a sort of a farewell to England, but in, but in some style. I think these promise to be fascinating exchanges. Well, and, I think uh, with James will be, he'll be, as he was at the select committee, he'll be rehearsed, coached, smooth. He will, you know, gloss over, whereas Rupert is, you know, uh, you know, he's in a tight corner. We've seen in the last week how um, offended he has been about coverage of pay TV piracy. He's been tweeting that, mm-hmm. you know, about toffs and right wingers. You know, that's old vintage Murdoch. Um, and I think we got a bit of that in the select committee at times last July. But James would intervene, put his hand on his arm and go, Dad, I think that's confidential. Yes. So you're just willing James to shut up and allow Rupert to speak because... It, it, you know, it's going to be fascinating. Anyway, we can't leave this week without having a conversation about, well, one other very important matter. No doubt, some would say it was the biggest media story of the week, I think. One of the articles in question attracted 1.5 million page views on good old Mail Online, which is obviously our second favourite website. Did I say that? <laughs> uh, the Guardian, uh, uh, Media Guardian. Yes, you've guessed it. We've got to talk about columnist Samantha Brick and how she calls, I don't know, Twitter meltdown with a candid declaration that her ravishing good looks uh, uh, were a burden when it came to friendship. As other women were driven to jealous rage by her fine visage and rather advantageous too when it came to getting things for free. Uh, Lisa, one earth is going on here why why are we why, why is some part of the nation so obsessed by this story 
Well, it's classic Daily Mail, isn't it? It's so provocative. Why do women hate me for being beautiful? For any woman to come out and say she is beautiful is just, you know, you're opening the sluice gates. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I guess, you know, the Daily Mail doesn't do a story like this and not follow it up. It's on day three now. It's the lead on Mail Online. They have papped their own journalist with um, photographs of her and her husband in France. And then yesterday they did double page spread on the backlash um, uh, Samantha Brick, who uh, I think most people would never have heard of before. I was going to say, I've never, I've never heard of her before. I didn't even know she wrote for the Mail. I mean, was this just a sort of one-off? I mean, she's come I mean, out of the you, blue. You, why do women hate me for being beautiful? You could just as well say, who is Samantha Brick? Mm-hmm. Um, but she was lambasted on Twitter. Dragon's Den judge Duncan Ballantyne asked if what I'd written was a joke. DJ Lauren Laverne <laughs> tweeted about her all day, none of it nice. So, so, so what is, is this a male sort of setting women against other women, as a colleague said to me? Is this, is this sort of edifying journalism or should we just... But that's the male, is fantastic. Just, yeah. And I, I worked there, it, you know, they, they play on women's neurosis. Um, that's what it is. Paul Dacre said that himself. Um, I'm, they, I'm not sure he used those exact words, did he? He didn't use those exact words, mm. but he did say that um, at the mm. Leveson Inquiry when he, mm-hmm. when he appeared. Um, you know, it's this constant uh, uh, neurosis women have about work versus motherhood, about, you know fat versus thin, about beautiful versus ugly, about having it all, having nothing. Um, that is what the male is just brilliant at, and this is classic. So women against women is just par for the course for the male. I think we've got a very funny piece, uh, dare I say it, by Tim Dowling, on loosely on this topic. Beautiful man, it's Tim, and you can read that on The Guardian. And if you must, I suppose, you can go to Mail Online. But there we are. That's all we have this week um, for the best media news anytime, night or day. You can go to guardian.co.uk forward slash media, or you can access us through the app or your smartphone, or you can just buy the newspaper too and pay for that. We love people who buy The Guardian or put their money in their pockets. But you can listen to this for free. I'm Dan Sabat. Media Talk was produced by the brilliant Jason Phipps. Until next week, goodbye. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.